disciples to go to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Father. Here in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Father, open our hearts and our minds by your Spirit to your word. Lord, we ask that you would mold us and shape us, change us, transform us, conform us, Father, to the image of the Son. We ask, God, that you would do this in spite of ourselves, in spite of our will that opposes your will. That, Lord, we pray today, we ask today, even as the Lord Jesus taught us to pray, that your will would be done on earth even as it is in heaven. Amen. So Jesus said, go and wait, go and tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And he says, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall be witnesses to me. You will receive power to be witnesses. So the promise of power is the promise of the Holy Spirit. This is the promise of the Father that Jesus spoke to his disciples about. So Jesus promised us power. What is the purpose of power? And we spent the last couple of weeks kind of talking about the the event on the day of Pentecost when God poured out his spirit. And we looked at the Old Testament prophecy in Joel, and we looked at the New Testament fulfillment in Acts chapter 2. Now today, uh, we're still talking about this purpose of power, and today I want I want to talk to you about A Tale of Two Cities. Has anybody ever read that book? It's a classic, A Tale of Two Cities. It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. And of course, it's talking about the city of Paris um, during the French Revolution. And, uh, but today we're going to look in Genesis chapter 11, because when we, we, when we visited the the day of Pentecost, and we looked at the scripture in Acts chapter 2, of course, and we looked at the history of the Feast of Pentecost, we knew that in the very beginning, even before there was a city of Jerusalem known to the Jews, to God's people, God told Moses, he said, I'm going to cause my people, every male, to appear before me in the place that I have chosen for my name to dwell forever. And we said that was And that is the city of Jerusalem. But we also said that speaks of more than just a physical city. And we kind of took a peek ahead at Revelation where we see the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. So today, as we begin and we continue to talk about the purpose of power, I want to talk about two cities. And we find the first city we're going to look at in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 11. Let's begin there in verse 1. It says, Now the whole world had one language and one speech. So what you need to understand here is this is immediately following the flood. And so God has just recorded through Moses um, the flood. Noah comes off the boat. His three sons and their families basically repopulate the earth. and, And God is kind of giving the genealogy here of the families of the sons of Noah. As a matter of fact, if you look at the last verse of chapter 10, it says, These were the families of the sons of Noah according to their generations in their nations 
From these, the nations were divided on the earth after the flood. Now, in that day, now the whole earth had one language and one speech. Can you imagine that? The whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city. Now, this is really important. So here we have, after the flood, that man decides he is going to build for who? For himself a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves. So they want to build a city for themselves and they want to make a name for themselves. This is the condition of humanity. This is, this is the nature of fallen man. Uh, it is not new to our day. There's a reason why we have all of these shows on TV, American Idol, the voice, everybody wants to make what for themselves? Everybody wants to make a name for themselves. And that's not anything new. That was back at the very beginning. So they said, let's build a city for ourselves. Let's make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one and they have one language, and this is what they begin to and this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they purpose to do will be held from them. Nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down there, confuse their language, and that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. Now, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't give us a lot of detail. It kind of just tells us what happened and your imagination can kind of run wild from there. It's, it's really an amazing story. So we have this one city, Babel. And in this city, we understand it was built by man, for man, so that man can make a name for himself. And God says, hey, these people are one, one language, one purpose. There's not anything they propose to do that's going to be withheld from them. God scatters them. He confuses their language and scatters them. You ever wondered why God did that? I mean, what's wrong with building a city? Is it a sin to build a city? What's wrong with building a city? It seemed like a natural thing to do. We just had a flood. The earth's been destroyed, and now they want to build a city to live in. Why would God not want them to do that? See, we need to understand that God has a purpose in everything that he does. As a matter of fact, as we talk about these two cities one of the things that I want you to do is see the purpose of God. As you live life, as you go through life, as you walk through your daily life, you need to see the purpose of God. Now, sometimes we can see that purpose 
immediately and it's very obvious. Sometimes we have to just say, God, what was the purpose of that? Sometimes we know, sometimes we don't know. But whether we understand exactly what God's purpose is, what do we know about God? What we know about God is that God does everything with and for a purpose. And so here we have the tale of this city called Babel. Now let's go back to the book of Acts. And though in the book of Acts, chapter 2, it doesn't really tell us specifically about the city of Jerusalem, it does tell us about an event that took place in this city. And the event that took place could only take place in this city. As a matter of fact, long before God's people discovered this city, settled this city, named this city, God purposed that this event would take place in this city. And so the writers of Scripture described to us, we read this last week, we're not going to go through and read it, but, but just let's just look at chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, and we just know if it's the day of Pentecost, we already know what city they're in. They can be in no other city but the city of Jerusalem because that's where they had to be. That's where God ordained that they be. He gave them a law that said, when you celebrate the Feast of Pentecost, you have to be in this city. So we know exactly where they are. They couldn't be any other place. They're in the city of Jerusalem when the day of Pentecost had fully come. They were there. They were all with one accord in one place. Kind of like those people back at Babel. They were in one accord in one place, building a city for themselves to make a name for themselves. And here are God's people in one place, in one accord, just as Jesus had instructed them, go and wait in the city of Jerusalem for the promise of the Father, which I told you of. So as they're there in one place, in one accord, the Spirit of God falls. God pours out His Spirit according to His word spoken by the prophet Joel and and keeping with what Jesus told His disciples before He was crucified. And it says that the mighty wind filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire. One set upon each other. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from where? From every nation under heaven. So think of this. At Babel, you had all the people in one place with one language, They were all together building for themselves a city. And God comes down and God scatters them. In Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, you have people that have come from the scattered parts of the earth, from every nation under heaven. They come from their scattered places and they come to one place. They all speak different languages, but God does something. God pours out His Spirit, and these men who are here from every nation under heaven, when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone, listen, they were confused because everyone heard in their own language the disciples of Jesus declaring the wonderful works of God. In other words, 
these guys don't speak my language. How am I hearing them yet in my language? We're from a different nation. We don't speak the same language. And you see that God's, God does something quite amazing on the day of Pentecost. He does really an exact reversal of what he did on the day that he scattered the nations at Babel. Verse 8 says, And how is it that we hear each one in our own language in which we were born? Verse 12, So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So there's a correlation between the division of nations and languages at Babel and the gathering of nations and languages at Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. So I want you to consider the contrast between these two cities, Babel and Jerusalem. One city built by man, one city was built by God. Now, I'm not talking about the physical city of Jerusalem. I'm talking about what that physical city, sitting in the middle of the Middle East, represents. And we're going to look at that in the Scripture in just a moment. One city for man's glory and one city for God's glory. One city of brick and mortar, or brick and asphalt, and another city made of lively stones and spirit. Peter says, you are lively stones being built up into the house of God. Babel is the scattering of one people into many by the power of God. Jerusalem is the gathering of many people into one by the power of God. Babel is the scattering of of one people into many by the power of God. Jerusalem is the gathering of many people into one by the power of God. And Abraham, we think about Father Abraham. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. Paul says, you are all of the seed of Abraham if you are of faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, it says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out into the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out, not knowing where he was going. But yet God called him to go out from the place he was for a purpose, did he not? But yet, when Abraham went, he had no idea where he was going. He was just following God. You think Abraham ever wondered, God, well, where am I going? Why should I leave my place, my home? Why should I do that? To go where, God? I'll I'll obey you if you'll tell me where it is I'm going. But yet, he didn't do that. He left, he went. And he didn't know where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Look at verse 10. For he waited for the city 
See, Abraham was looking for a city. He was waiting for a city. The descendants of the sons of Noah decided they weren't going to wait for a city. They were going to build for themselves a city. They weren't going to wait for a name, the name above all names. They were going to make for themselves a name and ascend into the heavens that their name would be above. But you see, Abraham didn't do that. Abraham waited for the city, not just a city. It doesn't say he waited for a city. It said he waited for the city. What city? The city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Abraham didn't settle for a lesser city than one whose builder and maker is God, whose chief cornerstone is Jesus Christ. In John 8, 56, Jesus tells the Pharisees, Abraham, rejoice to see my day. They said, you're crazy, you're not even 50 years old. How could Abraham see your day? And Jesus' reply was, before Abraham was, I am. And you know what the Bible says? They picked up stones to kill him right then. Because right there when Jesus said that, he just declared himself to be the I am. The Lord God Almighty. Abraham didn't settle for a lesser city. The city of God, now turn over to Revelation chapter 21. The city of God is revealed to us in Scripture. This city that Abraham waited for. Abraham wasn't waiting for the city that Jesus was crucified in. Abraham was waiting for the city that that city represents. He didn't just see the... Jerusalem of 33 AD, he saw the new Jerusalem, the holy Jerusalem, the city of God, the glorious city coming down out of heaven, adorned as a bride. Revelation 21, verse 1, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no more sea than I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Go down to verse 9. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me, talked with me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain, and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Look what it says about that, this city in verse 14. What, what did Abraham, Abraham waited for? The city with foundation, whose builder and maker was God. In verse 14 of Revelation 21, it says, Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. So the city of God, this is the new Jerusalem. So 
why, of all, why all this talk of a city? What is that city? The better question is not what is that city, but who is that city? Who is the bride of the Lamb? The church is the bride of the Lamb. The city's not a what, the city is a who. The city Abraham waited for was the city that God would build. In Matthew 16, in answer to the question Jesus poses to his disciples, who do men say that I am? Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says to Peter, Peter, I say to you that flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And upon this rock, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The church of God, the city of God, the people of God, the bride of the Lamb, they are all the same thing. When God called Abraham out of his homeland and said, Go to a land that I will show you, and he went... Hebrews tells us that Abraham went, he dwelt in tents because he was looking for the city, not a city, but the city. What was it that caused Abraham to wait for the city? He had to have seen something. As a matter of fact, Hebrews tells us he saw something. He saw it afar off. And we know he saw something because Jesus says, Abraham saw me in my day. What day is that? The day of his glory. The glorious day of his resurrection. Abraham saw a city by faith. Abraham saw the people of God. Abraham saw the church. Abraham saw what God was going to do with his people in bringing them together, gathering the many into one and making them a glorious people. Do you know that God sees you as glorious, whether you see yourself as glorious or not? Do you know that God has purposed and and destined that you be glorious? Whether you believe that or not, if you are a child of God, if you are a uh, a saved individual today, if you are in Christ today, if you are part of the body of Christ, if you are the church, the firstborn the redeemed of the Lord, bought by the blood of the Lamb, if that's you, then God sees you as glorious. And God has purposed that He will build you into and He will mold you and shape you and conform you and transform you and turn you into something that is glorious. Not for yourself. This city is not built for us. This city is built for God. This city is not built for man's glory. This city is built for God's glory. This city doesn't bear our name. This city bears His name. And we bear His name because He has made us lively stones and He has put us together and is building us up together into a holy, glorious habitation in the Spirit, the Bible says. So even in something as simple as the history of a city called Babel, do you see the purpose of God? 
You see the purpose of God in everything that God has done throughout created history. Do you see and do you know that God has a purpose? I didn't say we understand it all, but can you see? Some of it we can understand. Some of it we can see. Some of it we can know. Some of it we can only see from afar. Some of it we see very dimly. But this is what we know and this is what God has promised. He has a purpose in everything that he does. And even in that city called Babel, when he took one people of one language and he scattered them into many people with many languages across the face of the earth, the scripture says, even in that he had a purpose. On that day, he had an eternal purpose in mind. And he knew there would come a day when there was another city that no one even knew of yet called Jerusalem. And there would be a day in that physical city when he would pour out his spirit on all flesh. And because he poured out his spirit on all flesh, he took the many who were scattered and he brought them into one people. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. This is who we are. Ephesians 2.11, let's begin in verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ. Who are the we? For by grace you have been saved, verse 8, through faith. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. This defines the we. For we... Who is the we? Those who are saved by grace through faith, not of their own works so that no one can boast. Those who have received this gift of God called salvation, we are his workmanship created where? In Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand. That beforehand speaks of some time, some place before Anything that you see or perceive around you ever existed. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh. Remember, that's all of us. Unless you're a Jew here, unless you're an ethnic Jew today, you are a Gentile. Paul's writing to Gentiles here who are called uncircumcision by what is called circumcision, made in the flesh by hands. And that, and at that time, you were without Christ. There was a time when we were all without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, everybody say, but now. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. That's a powerful statement. That's a wonderful promise. He himself is our peace. Who has made both one. Remember, I will pour out my spirit on all 
flesh. Jew and Gentile. In those two categories, Jew and Gentile, that defines every bit of human flesh on the face of the earth. In that category, in those two categories of Jew and Gentile, we can define every bit of human flesh on the face of the earth. And what does God say? He himself is our peace who has made both Jew and Gentile one and has broken down the middle wall of separation having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so as to, look at this, create where? In himself one new man. This is what God did. Look, on the day of Pentecost, he poured out his spirit and he took that which was scattered, that which was many, and he brought them together and he made them one. One new man. Where? In Christ. So as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace, that he might reconcile both to God in one body, through the cross, thereby, thereby putting to death the enmity. The tale of two cities. One is the scattering of the nations. One is the gathering of the nations. One takes the one and makes them many. Another takes the many and makes them one by the power of God. The power of to be witnesses. Do you see God's purpose? When you read the Bible, read the Bible and look for God's purpose. When you read these seemingly obscure events, ask yourself, how does this seemingly obscure thing reveal the purpose of God? How does this reveal Christ to me? How does this reveal the purpose of God? So the purpose of power is to be witnesses. To do what? To build the city of God. To build the church, the bride of the Lamb. So it's important that we don't get distracted from the primary purpose. And what's the primary purpose? That we be... Let's go back to Acts chapter 1. That we be what? And you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you to be witnesses to me. If we turned all the lights off in this room right now, and it became dark in here, and I asked you, is there power to light this room? What would be your answer? Yeah, just because the lights are off, just because it's dark in here doesn't mean there's no power to light the room. Do you always feel powerful? Do you? Does that mean you don't have power just because you don't feel powerful? Do we walk by faith or do we walk by sight? Do we walk by faith or do we walk by feeling? See, if we walked into a dark room, we might assume, 
and wrongly so, that there is no power to light this place. But the reality is, there is power. We just have not appropriated it. If you're a believer, who lives on the inside of you? Christ, and how does Christ live on the inside of you? By the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you. He dwells in you. Is the Holy Spirit ever void of power? No, He's not. So if the Holy Spirit is living inside of you, are you ever void of power? You're not. Now, you might not feel powerful. You might be struggling with things in your life that are hindering you, that are causing you to doubt or causing you to to lose hope, causing you to feel weak. What's the promise of God? What did did God tell Paul when Paul felt weak? He said, I just can't go on, God. Please take this thorn from my side, this thorn in my flesh. Please take it. I asked the Lord three times, and God said, I'm not going to do it. For in your weakness, my strength is made perfect. Do we ever remind ourselves of that when we feel weak? Do you ever remind yourself in your moment of weakness that that is when His strength is perfected? See, this is when we appropriate faith. This is faith. This is when we say, it's not based on how I feel, it's based on what is true. If we lived life based on how we feel, man, and a lot of people do that, and that's why you see people living roller coaster lives. Because one moment they're up, and they, they're, they're just having a thrill. Just a thrill. Life's a thrill. Next moment, though, as they're riding that thrill down the hill, they hit the bottom, and they bottom out. Because so many people live lives based on their feelings. But we're not called to live life based on our feelings. We're called to live life by faith. And our faith is rooted and grounded in what? It's rooted and grounded in truth. And this is how Jesus could tell the Apostle Paul, Paul, your weakness is okay. Because in your weakness, my strength is perfected. My grace, Paul, is sufficient for you. And if his grace is sufficient in his weakness... For the Apostle Paul, then his grace is sufficient in our weakness. You believe that? Whether you believe it or not, it's true. In the Psalms, David records these words. David talks about encouraging himself in the Lord. You know, sometimes we've got to encourage ourselves in the Lord. It's good to have people to encourage you. You should have people around you to encourage you. We, we talked about the scripture Wednesday night, bad company corrupts good morals. We always look at young kids, youth, and it is appropriate, kids. Bad company corrupts good morals, but that's true for adults just as much as it is for kids and youth and young adults. It doesn't matter what age you are. And sometimes we need people around us to encourage us, but sometimes we just have to encourage ourselves in the Lord. Because ultimately, I've got to come to a place where I 
know that His grace is sufficient. Amen? So the purpose of power is to be a witness. So we can't get distracted from what this purpose is about. It's about God. It's about Christ. It's about this glorious city of God. It's about this glorious bride of the Lamb. It's about His people. So, for instance, in Matthew 28, 19, what we call the Great Commission, what did Jesus say? He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Did God give us a command, but he didn't give us provision to carry out the command? Absolutely not. And this is why he told them, wait in the city of Jerusalem until the promise of my Father comes upon you and you're endued with power. I've commanded you to do something. Now I'm going to provide the power for you to carry out the command. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations. God has poured out His Spirit on all flesh. He's destroyed the middle wall of separation. He no longer sees Jew and Gentile, kings, priests, and prophets. It doesn't matter. If we are in Christ, we have become one new man. We've become a holy race, a holy nation, a royal priesthood. And He's poured out His Spirit into our hearts, into our lives, and He has empowered us to go forth to be witnesses, to make disciples. In Mark 16, 15, He says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. In Luke 24, 47, He says, Repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. Well, we're not in Jerusalem. We're in Taylor. You know, we're in Taylor because that message went from Jerusalem. Do you realize that? It began in Jerusalem, and now it has come to the utter ends of the earth. And here we are. But the same commandment, the same commission applies to us today. John twenty twenty one. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. We read the scripture in Acts. You shall be witnesses to me to the end of the earth. And the Great Commission will only be fulfilled how? It's, number, it's only going to be fulfilled by the power of the Holy Spirit, but it's only going to be fulfilled as God's people who are empowered with and by that Spirit go out in obedience and do what they have been commanded to do. The preaching of the gospel and the building of the city of God are one work whose power and glorious culmination is revealed to us in the Scripture. This is the picture. This is the revelation that John had of the holy city, New Jerusalem, descending out of heaven. This is the bride of the Lamb. This is the city that Abraham saw and said, You know what? I am content to dwell in tents until I come into the city with foundations whose builder and maker is God. Imagine the vision that Abraham must have had that caused him to wait. And he waited all of his natural life and never, never experienced in his natural life. I don't know whether he knew he would never experience in his natural life or not, but, but what he saw by faith was so great that he did not, he would not settle for anything less. That should teach us something. So what is the key to walking in the power of the Spirit? 
How are we going to do that? If we're believers, it's not that we're lacking something other than a comprehension of what we already have. Well, I believe the key to walking in the power of the Spirit is bound up with prayer, and it's bound up with obedience. For instance, let's go to Luke 11. Jesus taught us quite a bit about prayer. And I love this scripture. Luke 11, verse 9, Jesus says, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who seeks receives, and he who seeks, everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. For if a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. Persistent prayer, ask. Scriptural prayer, it's important that we pray, not just persistently, but we pray in truth and out of knowledge. Let's go to Luke chapter 24. Notice what Jesus does with His disciples. As he's commissioning them. Luke chapter 24. Look at verse 45. It says, And he, Jesus, opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Because as of yet, they didn't really comprehend what was going on. They were still freaked out that Jesus died. But Jesus opened the scriptures to them. He opened their understanding. We see this also on the road to Emmaus. This is exactly why the Spirit of God has to come. This is what Jesus told his disciples in John chapters 14, 15, and 16. This is why the Spirit must come. He's going to teach you. He's going to testify. He's going to bring to your remembrance. He's going to open your understanding. He's going to enable you to comprehend, to know as Paul prays, the exceeding greatness of His power that works toward us. So we need to pray scriptural prayers, knowing and comprehending truth. And you're not going to know and comprehend truth if you don't ever get into the book that God gave us to reveal His truth. Amen? You're not going to just know it because you memorized ink on paper. The Spirit of God works, though, through the Scripture. They work together. So it's not enough for us just to despair before God in prayer. We need to be rooted and grounded in truth. And we need to pray scriptural prayers. We need to pray faithful prayers. They waited. Listen, when Jesus told his disciples to go and tarry in Jerusalem, they waited in faith with expectancy of the promise that Jesus gave to them. We need to be faithful in our prayers. We need to be expectant in our prayers. We need to believe, based on what the Scripture reveals to us, that God will perform His Word. He will do 
what He promised. And whether we see it in the way we want to, whether we fully understand it or not, we know that God has a purpose in everything. So we pray in that hope. We pray in that faith. We pray with that expectancy, faithful prayer. We need to pray unified prayers. In Acts 1.14 and Acts 2.1, what does it say? They were all in one place, in one accord. They were praying in one accord. It's like people praying, you know, last night there were people praying for the Longhorns to win, but guess what? There were people in New Mexico praying for the Lobos to win. So how did God figure out which one was going to, you know? <laughs> that's kind of a silly, but that's a silly example, but we need to be praying unified. What unifies our prayers? The Scripture, the truth. Our prayers are unified in truth, unified in the purpose of God. Acts 4.24, they were all together and they prayed. And, and we see that when they did that, when they lifted up that unified prayer, God did something. Because, let's go there, Acts 4.24. They also offered up praise-filled prayers. This is what we see in Acts 4.24 through 31. Philippians 4, 6 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in all things through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. When we offer up thanksgiving to God, we are offering up praise to God. Offering up the sacrifice of praise from the fruit of our lips, that is the offering of thanksgiving. When you pray with thanksgiving, you are just inherently offering up praise-filled prayers as you thank God be anxious for nothing, but through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Here in Acts 4.24, it says, So when they heard that they raised their voices to God, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, and they quote the scripture, they quote the psalm, Why did the nations rage? And the people plot vain things. The kings of the earth took their stand. And the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. They understood God had a purpose even in the death of his son. Even in the murder of his son, God had a purpose. And they were rejoicing in that truth. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word by stretching out your hand to heal that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. Praise-filled prayers. Fervent prayer. James says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. James 5.16 Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. But he prayed that it would not rain for three and a half years. And you know what? It didn't rain for three and a half years. And he prayed that it would rain again. And you know what? It rained again. And what James says, Elijah wasn't special. He, 
He didn't have a different kind of DNA, a different kind of nature than we had. He was a man with a nature just like ours. But there is something about the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man or a righteous woman that avails. Obedience. We can pray all day long, but if we won't walk in obedience, our prayers don't mean anything. Romans 8, 9 says that if you are Christ, you are no longer in the flesh. You are in the Spirit. Do you know that when you pray, you pray in the Spirit? Whether you're praying in tongues or in English, it doesn't really matter. If you're a believer and you're praying, you're praying in the Spirit because you are in the Spirit. You're not in the flesh any longer. This is how you can come before the throne of grace. This is how you worship Him in spirit and in truth. It's not how, whether you do the Holy Ghost two-step or the charismatic two-step or not. It's whether you're in Christ or not. If you're in Christ, you're in the Spirit, Romans 8, 9. You're not in the flesh any longer. We can't come before the throne of grace in the flesh. We can't do it because flesh is sinful. And flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of God and it sure won't come to the very throne of grace. But in the Spirit, we come. By the blood of Jesus. Why, why is that important? Go to Ephesians 5.18. Ephesians 5.18 says, Don't be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled. Here's a command. Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Be controlled by the Spirit. Who is to control our lives? The Spirit of God is. Are we doing what we're doing for ourselves and f- to make a name for ourselves? That's what they did at Babel. No. What God is doing is not, is not for us, and what we're doing is not for us. What God is doing is for His glory. What we're doing should be for His glory, that His name would be magnified. This is why we need to be filled with the Spirit. We need to be controlled by the Spirit and let the Spirit lead us and guide us. And how do, we, how do we hear, how do we perceive what the Spirit's leading and guiding us to do? Well, we've got the Word of God, right? He'll never violate His Word, but prayer is also important. This is why praying persistent, faithful, praise-filled, fervent prayers, scriptural prayers are important because this is how we know and this is how we receive instruction from the Word of God, from the Spirit of God. Then we walk in the Spirit. This is what Paul says in Galatians 5.25. Look at that scripture. Galatians 5.25. Paul says, if we live in the Spirit, do we live in the Spirit? Romans 8.9, if you are Christ, you are no longer in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. If we are spirit, if we're living in the spirit, if we're born again, children of God, now bearing the image of God, partakers of His divine nature, if that's who we are, if that's where we live, let us walk in the spirit. This is obedience. I can do that because of what Jesus has done. I can do that because He made a way where there was no way. I can do that because He bought and purchased me with His blood. 
I can do that because I was crucified with Him and therefore raised with Him. I'm in the Spirit now. If we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. And if I'm walking in the Spirit, am I walking in His power? Yes, I am. And I am available for God to do whatever He chooses to do through me. Whatever sign, whatever wonder, whatever word He might want me to speak, preach the gospel, give a word of encouragement, pray. Are you available? Go out and be a witness, not just through your words, but how you live your life. Are you available? Are you walking in the Spirit? Are you walking in the power of God? To be a witness for Christ? Do you know that He's building His city? Do you know that He is building the glorious city? That you are a lively stone? That He is building up? Do you live your life understanding that every day? Knowing that God is taking your life and He's using it? For His glory. That church isn't just a place we come on Sunday to have a, a good time. It should be. It should be fun. We should look forward to this. But this is not the end of why we're Christians. Heaven is not the end of why we're Christians. The reason you're a Christian, you should live that every day. You should live with that purpose every day. You should live with that understanding every day. Under, knowing that God has saved you and sent you into this world to be a witness because he's building a city. One last scripture, let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22. The writer of Hebrews says, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. You see how similar the language there is to what John saw in his revelation? You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if he did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake, not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of things that are made, and that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. What are you? Are you one that can or one that cannot be shaken? Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. In Christ we have been given the power of God to obey the word of God, to partake in the work of God.
You are the church. You are the glorious city, the bride of the Lamb. Do you know that? Let us walk in the purpose of His power. For we have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God. You are that city. You really are. The world needs to see the glory of Christ. That you, city of God, reveal. The world needs to see the light. The light that comes from the glorious city. From the Lamb who is its light. From the Lamb who is its glory. Amen? Let's all stand. Power to be witnesses. The purpose of power. God is building a city. And we are that city. Get into the Word of God and begin to see yourself the way the Word of God describes you. The way God sees you. Let God begin to shake away, prune away, take away all of those things that are hindering you from walking in His power. Be willing to allow Him. Father, we ask that You would, in Your grace... Lord, remove from us those things that are hindering us from walking in your power. That are causing us to be distracted, Father. That are causing our eyes to be drawn away to earthly things, to foolish things. God, I pray that you would help us to fix our eyes on you. That you would, as you promised in John 15, Lord, prune away those things that are causing us to be unfruitful. Lord, prune us as branches in the true vine that we might bear even more fruit, that you would be even more glorified. Lord, that is a fearful prayer to pray, but it's a faithful prayer to pray. Lord, I ask that we would not faint, Lord, as you may answer our prayers. Lord, even the ones that we pray in ignorance. Because, Father, we pray that your will would be done, that you would be glorified. In spite of ourselves, whatever cost it may cost us here, Father, we pray that you would be glorified. And we trust, God, that you have a good plan and a good purpose for our lives, for your people. You didn't save us for anything less in the good plan and the good purpose that would bring glory and honor to your name. And we thank you, Lord, that by grace you have made us a part of that. Lord, I pray for your people today. God, bless them. I pray you pour out even more grace into our lives. Help us, Lord, walk humbly before you and trust in your grace that is so very sufficient for us. In Jesus' name, amen.